Welcome to this podcast where director Jeff T. Thomas chats with some of the most talented TV and film directors in the industry. This is an in-depth look at how they got into the business, as well as sharing some of the most defining moments in their career. This is The Director's Podcast. My next guest won the DGA Student Female Filmmaker Prize for a short film, Jamie. She also won the Slam Dance Competition for a first ever screenplay, The Woodsman. After winning numerous awards on the film festival circuit, she went on to direct TV shows such as The Killing, The Americans, The Leftovers, and most recently, she served as executive producer and directed three episodes of the HBO show Watchmen, including winning the Directors Guild of America Award for Dramatic Series for The Watchmen Pilot. I asked Nicole Gassell, what was the first time she realized that she wanted to work in the film industry? I really had a lightning bolt moment on my first year of college, and actually the first week of college, a fellow student came in and showed a short film he had made. And it, it just seared right through me. Um, I think a wave of jealousy. It's like, I wanna do that. And as absurd as it sounds, it just wasn't in my realm of possibility that something people did, you know, cause I'd, I'd grown up a fan but I'd never known a filmmaker or anyone from the industry. And so seeing somebody my age doing it was just like the shocking revelation. And I think from that moment, it became a drive. I definitely took a very circuitous route to get there, but I know my interest was always to make movies from that moment. How old are you at this point? 18. 18. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What were you What were you studying at that time? Uh, I was studying art history, and I just just started college. But I went to college knowing I wanted to be an art history major, and I'd always done a lot of studio art through high school and and continued through college. Um, and the university where I was did not have a undergraduate film major; they had just graduate school. So. I made the plan to still do my art history major, but then as soon as I could, I started taking any class in the graduate film program that I could. And by my junior year, I had finished the art history major and spent, I think, my, most of my senior year in the film, grad film department. And I, you know, but meanwhile, I, I also was very serious about art and the art world. I thought maybe I wanted to be a curator. I interned at the Whitney Museum and the Guggenheim Museum. But I found myself being drawn to the artists and it took me a long time to admit, but I wanted to be the artist rather than the person working around the artist. And when you discovered that you wanted to be the artist, did you know what type? Do you want to be a writer, a director of photography, a director? What was, how did you discover that? I, I again, I definitely wanted to be making film um, it took me still longer to admit it was be the director. But from that point forward, I, I took, you know, filmmaking classes, hands-on, making short films. So I knew I wanted to be in filmmaking. And then I left college and went to San Francisco to, for two years and interned in every kind of job possible. I, I had a day job as an office manager for a non-for-profit. But then I PA'd, I was a terrible PA at a commercial house. And 
Then I really lucked my way into an unpaid job editing a documentary about Marlon Riggs. And I was in San Francisco. He had taught at Berkeley, and I met a student of his who had started documenting him at the end of his life. Her name was Karen Everett. And out of grief, she had not dealt with the over 100 hours she had filmed. And so I took a first pass at it, and I was literally editing beta to beta. You know, it's like writing by hand. And I did a first, I got it down to, I think, two hours, working in the basement of the Journalism School of Berkeley. It's a very random place to be. But um, then she came in and we worked together to finish it. And, and we premiered at the San Francisco Gay and Lesbian Film Festival in 1996. And then that fall, I got I had gotten into NYU grad film while I applied while editing that documentary. I asked Nicole if she had planned to specialize in editing or if she had already started to focus on directing. So the program's very much for directors. Um, so I got in and, um, but you know, the beauty of the program is that you work in every position. And so even though it was for directors. I, I went in and said, well, maybe I'll be a cinematographer. Maybe I'll be an editor. You know, it just, I, I think it took, I made one film and, and the, uh, an instructor said to me, I think I'd been the DP on a friend's documentary and we, you know, loved the film. But the, an instructor said to me, maybe you should be a writer or maybe you should be cinematographer. And in that moment, I heard him saying I wasn't a director <laughs> and it made me furious and lit a real fire under me. And I think that was probably the defining moment where I was like, I want to be a director. Having experienced a similar situation while I was at art school, I asked Nicole if she could dig deeper into how negativity can actually be used as fuel to generate ambition. Um, the emotion was of being underestimated and unsupported, you know. I think, and, and it just, and it just created this determination in me. You know, it's a similar thing that actually happened actually in the making of The Woodsman. I pursued the playwright and asked to option the material. And at first he was like, he, he had meetings with me and we had great discussions, but then he got cold feet. And only when he said no did I then like really dig in. And so much so that I wrote the first draft of the movie on spec. You know, I came back to him with a 180-page draft saying, this is how serious I am and this is what I would do. You know, it's, it's almost like a toddler reaction. If you tell a toddler they can't have something, it makes them really determined. You know, I've been giving a lot of classes right now during pandemic because I can zoom in to anywhere and, you know, getting to meet with a lot of young people and it's so powerful and, you know, and kind of telling my story repeatedly. It has made me wonder if, if it wouldn't have taken me quite so long to own wanting to be a director had there been more role models, more female directors that I could look up to. You know, and there, I had a number of wonderful ones, obviously Agnes Varda, Jane Campion, contemporaries, like near contemporaries, Lisa Cholodenko, Kimberly Pierce, like right ahead of me, Karen Kusama. Um, so I, I knew women were doing it, but 
it still, you know, the, the, the tenor was still, you're the exception, you know, to the rule. Now that Nicole was owning her rightful title as director, she started focusing on writing and directing her own short films. They were, the, there was three fiction films and one documentary. And um, the fiction films all became very personal. And, you know, very, you know, first one was called Jamie, a little eight minute short. The second one was called The Green Hour. And that was, I don't know if it was 20 minutes. And I definitely, I wrote and directed those and really experienced the, the challenge of writing personal stories to, to put on screen. And then I saw the play of The Woodsman while I was making, after I just made my my little eight-minute film. And it was such a profound experience to walk into the theater one person and out another. And when I went into the process of writing it, I found it very liberating to work in adaptation. It, it separated me a little bit from the story because with the short films that were personal, I found it very difficult to take criticism of the film as not criticism of me or my story. And so... Since The Woodsman, I've not written a personal film. And um, maybe I will one day, um, but it's been, I found it so painful and or sensitive. And it's nice to work a little bit with a little bit of separation, but to find things I feel deeply passionate about and that I can personally connect to, but different enough from me that I don't feel like myself is on the line. The playwright, Stephen Fector, allowed me to option the material based on being a co-writer. And I had also never co-written before. And I found that, again, very um, comforting to have somebody equally invested in the story and the work. Um, so it just wasn't nearly as lonely. And I was very um, rabid about, you know, every time we got notes, I, I really take them to heart. And, you know, and maybe I listen to notes a little too much, but I just am vehement about reworking, reworking, reworking. And then we applied for the Slam Dance screenplay competition, and it was a total shock to me that we won. Just complete out of the blue gift. And it was pretty amazing because I think within a week or 10 days, I found out that my thesis film for NYU, the 20 minute short, had gotten into Sundance. Wow. Yeah, and it was, it was a total wow moment because I, that meant I was going to Park City with a short film and Sundance and the feature film script ready to go. And in film school then, we'd been really educated. Like that's your package, that's your that's how you get a movie greenlit, you know, to sh have a sample of what you can do and the story you want to tell. I obviously listened to the advice I, and who knew, I, I definitely didn't mean to like follow it to the T, but it really worked. And, um, and based on that festival, I got a manager who then sent the screenplay to Lee Daniels and he responded, um, and he was coming off the success of Monsters Ball. So it was incredibly thrilling, and he called and he asked if he could buy the screenplay. And I was like, no. 
I'm not selling this. Because I really knew if I didn't direct it, I would, I would miss my shot. And at this point, it's, you know, three years since I've seen the play. You know, it sounds kind of like the fairy tale story of make a couple short films, write a feature, and then you get it made. But we're talking years of time. You know, I started film school in 96. I saw the play in 99. I was finally filming it in 2003. Um, we won the 2002 um, competition. So it's there's many valleys of worry and wonder of, am I ever going to get to do it? And when Lee Daniels, um, when you convinced him that you were going to direct the movie... And I presume that he was all all for it because you ended up making an amazing film together. What what was it like working with him, being your first producer outside of film school? Did he have notes on the script? Did you always agree on the same thing? Did he help you get the actors? How how, how did that progress from there? Yeah, my memory is that I kept working on the screenplay, and he's like, "Stop it." <laughs> stop here you know um but i was again a real stickler but where lee lee was brilliant with casting he um he had been a manager at that point so um he was incredible you know it took us a while to find walter you know and that was kevin bacon taking on that part but once kevin bacon said yes the cast really came together but you know, Lee definitely found, you know, Mose Def, Eve, David Allen Greer, um, Michael Shannon. You know, he, he had a really, you know, that I was not in the industry at all, and Lee fully was. And then Lee also found the financing. He found two private financiers. So he was very absolutely instrumental in the make, getting it made. Um, you know, and he gave me... In the making of it, he was not on set much, but he was definitely looking at the footage. And, and again, what the feedback I loved from him was like, push the envelope. No, he's like, I don't want any boring shots. and Don't, don't bore me. And I loved being encouraged that way. You know, if, even if there's two people sitting at a table, I found myself climbing up on the table to see what it, the angle would look like from straight above. Just really felt, um, I felt really on fire creatively while filming that and had incredible collaboration with the cinematographer. And, you know, as I, I'm remembering as we talk now that when we started actually filming, because, you know, until the day you're rolling camera, you don't know if the film's going to fall apart. Um, but I started waking up truly happy in the morning. And I was, I was like, in a way that I'd never felt before. And it was because I was doing what I wanted to be doing. And it was a dream, dream come true. How many days did you shoot? 25. Uh, you know, having written the script and now you're directing, how much of the script changed while you were shooting the movie, if any at all? Not a lot. You know, I think if anything, cutting down. Um, I know in, in pre-production, we hit that moment with the Bond company where they said, you know, you have to cut 10 pages or something. So I went through and, and did a really harsh cut pass. But I also snuck a lot of that back in while filming. <laughs> you know, it was pulling out dialogue and then we'd be rehearsing the scene and I just found myself 
giving them the lines back, you know. It didn't change remarkably in any way during the filming and editing, of course, you know, there's that, the edit is that is the final rewrite and it just got really tight. I mean, it's a, it's a tight film. It's 85 minutes, but there were no big structural changes, no reshoots, nothing like that. Now the movie was complete. The Woodsman was about to be premiered at one of the most prestigious film festivals in the world. So the film premiered at Sundance in 2004, and it was a real life-changing moment. Like the moment, the night that premiere happened, I knew my career had started, and it was, um, it was shocking and really kind of an outer body experience. Like I remember being in one of the vans going around Sundance and somebody asked the driver what movies he's hearing the buzz about and somebody said The Woodsman. <laughs> and I just was like sitting there like, it was so surreal. Um, and then it just kicked off this year of being on the festival circuit and um, I got to go to Cannes and the, you know, the film just kept going and, and winning awards. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know anything else at the, that, at the time. So it was so much fun and so exciting. Um, and I, in retrospect, didn't realize how insanely special it was. You know, now not having made it back to Cannes, you know, it's like that. And you never know if, you know, you don't know if you'll make it back. Um, so it was an exquisite experience. And also, you know, the world has obviously changed so much. But I, that, that festival circuit, I still see people go on it every year and it's so exciting to watch. And it'll be interesting if I ever go back because uh, I'll be such a different person when I do. Did you have distribution in place there, or was that something that came through the festival circuit? That happened at Sundance. So there was, um, yeah, the film sold while we were at Sundance. It took a couple days that were very nail-biting. Um, but I really, again, felt so lucky that Bob Burney and New Market Films, you know, fought for it and, and bought it. And I, I knew of them very well from, they had, released Monster with Patty, Patty Jenkins' film the year before and Whale Rider, Nikki Caro's film. So I felt in very good hands. Yeah, you certainly were. Um, like I said, I saw the movie in London when it uh, first came out and I was blown away then and even more so when I watched it again the other night. I think you made an incredible movie. Um, Thank you. Can you, uh, obviously this led on to A Little Bit of Heaven, can you talk me through the process of what it was like going from this, what it seemed like a dream movie, to doing a movie with a big studio now, with a Millennium and Miramax and the differences yeah. and what that experience was like? Night and day, you know. Right. Um, a Little Bit of Heaven is, it's hard for me to talk about because it's not a successful film. And it was both not critically or financially successful. So it, it truthfully really hurt my career and put me in what they call movie jail. And, you know, I've had to, it's interesting that you asked about that. Not many people do. You know, one of my resolutions even this year is like needing to 
forgive myself for that film and to look on my, you know, to be a little compassionate. The film played its role and that I learned so much. You know, they say you learn from your failures and I surely epically did. You know, and I also think to this day, every every blue moon, somebody will come up to me and say that they loved that movie. And I just like want to put them in my pocket and keep them with me forever, you know? But, you know, I didn't write that script and I connected to it though very much. But I just fell into so many traps that partly came because it was already six or seven years since I'd made The Woodsman. And out of wanting so badly to make another feature, I think I put a lot of blinders up to warning signs that that were happening, you know? And I'd say, I think ultimately I came on board and pitched making one film and the studio kind of shifted their goals of what it would be during the making of it, you know? And, and kind of in a nutshell, the. You know, they wanted a fall drama awards movie and, and then in the making of it decided more summer comedy <laughs> release. <laughs> yeah, what, what motivated that shift? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, and I, you know, but I have to take full responsibility for not protecting it, you know, or not fighting harder to protect it. So... But you can only take so much responsibility. First of all, I thought it was a great movie. I, I, I found it incredibly touching. The end had tears in my eyes. Um, I didn't realize you viewed it like that at all. I was just curious because those two studios are renowned for being very powerful and difficult to navigate. So yeah. I was just curious what the difference between one studio and oh, doing the independent compared to that was like. Yeah, it was it was it was very different because the producers were much more hands-on with all the decisions. And I think I, I was trying to be gracious and open. I think it just is it's it's diluted from what I set out to do. You know, and, and to be honest, I haven't watched it in so long. Maybe I'm being unfair to it, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I think that one of the things that has said from the beginning, though, what I love about the work I've gotten to do over, you know, since The Woodsman is it shows I'm not to be painted into a corner or a box and that I can do The Woodsman. I can do a little bit of heaven. I can direct Claws, I can direct Watchmen, The Killing. I've gotten to play in so many different tones and genres, um, and they're all me. So I think that feature did show that, but I think, I just think that there's still, I don't know, it's still problematic. <laughs> can you can you obviously you've had an incredible television career and it's just going again stronger and stronger every year can you just tell me I saw that you've obviously done the killing and final and the closer so you've worked with Kevin and Kira again and you know which is a really good sign because obviously mm -hmm. those actors loved you can you just talk about how the woodsman and you know how that movie um, helped you get into television and how that trajectory grew to you know to the Westworld and the Watchmen uh, yeah. today? So off of the woodsman, I got a cold call to no pun, pun intended to come and direct on Cold Case, um, a direct invite. And what I've been told is Mark Pellington had seen the film 
and wanted to bring me. And by the time I got to Cold Case, Paris Barkley was the producing director. And he, I could not have gotten more lucky for my first television job ever because he was brilliant at preparing me. He gave me everything I needed to know to succeed uh, on that episode. And I also got extremely lucky that truly by chance, the writer of that episode was Vina Sood, who went on to write The Killing and run that show. But we had been classmates at NYU. And we got on that set and had so much fun together, you know, making this very dark, dark story. And it was a total prelude to The Killing because on The Killing, Vina was known as the Queen of Darkness and I was known as the Mistress of Misery. <laughs> and I didn't know that until I came back for like my third episode and we were working on a scene and I, I gave a note and the DP just was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like how do you take something that's devastating and just make it even more devastating? Um, but so that was a beautiful first episode. And Paris, you know, it was his idea to get Jelko Ivanic as the guest actor. And um, Vina had been inspired by a very dark, forget the film, a European film. You know, and so it just really took her script and ran. And, and Cold Case was really fun because there was very clear formula, but the opening teaser could be in any aesthetic you wanted. And it was like, that little thing, that's yours. Make it whatever you want. And and the whole show, you know, they encourage, you know, you to be cinematic and all of that. I had a wonderful time there. And then I did a second episode of Cold Case a year or two later. And then and then Kira got Kira Sedgwick started her show, The Closer. So through our connection, I went and did a couple episodes of The Closer. And then Kevin Bacon started the following, and that got me onto the following. And then Vina got the killing going. And I got very lucky that at the moment, my second film, A Little Bit of Heaven, was being made. She was making the pilot for the killing at the same time. So I started directing on the killing at the same time that the the film came out and didn't do well. So luckily on the TV side, I was already in a good place and, and getting momentum. And I did, you know, I became a part of the Killings family, you know, and returned there for four seasons. And from that, that's when, there was some time between doing the killing and the following that I finally started to get work that wasn't through my own direct connections. and. You know, I got American Crime, The Americans. The ball just started yeah. to really roll. And then that led to getting The Leftovers, Vinyl, Westworld, Watchmen. Yeah, so how did that lead to, you're obviously, you're now on HBO, the best place to be as a director. How did that lead to directing the pilot and being executive producer on uh, Watchmen? So I met Damon Lindelof on The Leftovers. I... Thanks to Mimi Leader, she introduced me to Damon for season two. And my episode went really well on season two. So he invited me back for season three. And I just had divine experience on that show. Um, and 
I didn't get to know Damon well. We we met, you know, and we interacted a lot in pre-production. But, you know, I wouldn't say he knew, you know, any of my interests really. Or um, he knew me as a filmmaker. Um, but so when I heard he was going to do Watchmen, I immediately bought the book but didn't read it. And then kind of just tracked when he was going to be near to looking for a director. And finally, I just sent him an email and I said, I, I don't know if you know, but I'd be really interested in doing this. Because I'm not, I didn't share this, but I was not a fangirl. I hadn't grown up, you know, on comics or Watchmen. So we'd never had that kind of connection. But I knew whatever he was doing, I would really like to be a part of. And so I just, out of the blue, sent an email saying, I'd love to put my hat in the ring. And he was like, sure. I was like, yay, cool. That does not mean he gave it to me. He said, you know, let's talk. Um, so he, we had a conversation over Christmas of 2017. And then he sent me the screenplay and, and it just blew me away, like truly. And I, I know there were a handful of directors you know, in consideration. So I did a, I did a classic lookbook for him. You know, I just really put my heart and soul on paper. You know, I wrote a letter of like why I felt so passionately about it. And then literally my vision for it from opening to end and then thoughts on the season as well. Um, and he loved it. And you know, and at that point, like, it's so subjective, really, at direct, any director could do it, but he, so all I could do was really put my, my eye on paper for him. Yeah, and what, what an eye that is, and what an incredible job you did. Okay, well, listen, that's, a, that's an incredible uh, journey, and that's a great place to finish part one. In part two, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about your process and some of the more defining moments in your career. Thank Excellent. you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'm not going to ask you to give it a five-star review or for you to subscribe. And there is no Patreon site. I created this show to help people who don't have mentors or role models. People who want to work in the film industry but don't know which path they should take. So if you know someone who might like or benefit from the show, all I'm asking is for you to share it with them. And who knows, maybe one day you'll be listening to their story. Remember 19th media.